story seven of the grim smile of the five towns by arnold bennett this librivox recording is in the public domain story seven vera's second christmas adventure one curious and strange things had a way of happening to vera perhaps because she was an extremely feminine woman but of all the curious and strange things that ever did happen to vera this was certainly the strangest and most curious it makes a somewhat exasperating narrative because the affair ended or rather vera caused it to end on a note of interrogation the reader may however draw consolation from the fact that if he is tormented by an unanswerable query vera herself was much more tormented by precisely the same query two days before christmas at about three o'clock in the afternoon just when it was getting dusk and the distant smoke-spall of the five towns was merging in the general greyness of the northern sky vera was sitting in the bow-window of the sitting-room of stephen chesredine's newly acquired house at sneed sneed being the fashionable suburb of the five towns graced by the near presence of a countess and as the slim thirty-year-old vera sat there moody for reasons which will soon appear in her charming tea-gown her husband drove up to the door in the dog-cart and he was not alone he had with him a man of vigorous and dashing appearance fair far from ugly and with a masterful face keen eyes and most magnificent furs round about him at sight of the visitor vera's heart did not exactly jump but it nearly jumped presently stephen brought his acquaintance into the drawing-room my wife said stephen rubbing his hands vera this is mr bittinger of new york he will give us the pleasure of spending the night here and now vera's little heart really did jump she behaved with the delicious wayward grace which she could always command when she chose to command it no one would have guessed that she had not spoken to stephen for a week i'm most happy most happy said mr bittinger with a marked accent and a fine complimentary air and obviously he was most happy vera had impressed him there was nothing surprising in that she was in the fullness of her powers in that direction and it is at this point at the point of the first jumping of vera's heart that the tale begins to be uncanny and disturbing thus runs the explanation during the year stephen had gradually grown more and more preoccupied with the subject of his own health the earthenware business was very good although of course manufacturers were complaining just as usual trade indeed flourished to such an extent that stephen had pronounced himself to be suffering from nervous strain and overwork the symptoms of his malady were chiefly connected with the assimilation of food to be brief it was dyspepsia and as stephen had previously been one of those favoured people who can eat anything at any hour and arise in the best of health the next day stephen was troubled at last about august when he was obliged to give up wine he had suddenly decided that the grimy air of the five towns was bad for him and that the household should be removed to sneed and removed to sneed it accordingly was the new house was larger and more splendid even than the Cheswardine abode at bursley but vera did not like the change vera preferred the town 
nevertheless she could not openly demure since stephen's health was supposed to be at stake during the autumn she was tremendously bored at sneed she had practically no audience for her pretty dresses and her friends would not flock over from bursley because of the difficulty of getting home at night then it was that vera had the beautiful idea of spending christmas in switzerland someone had told her about a certain hotel called the bear where on christmas day never less than a hundred well-dressed and wealthy english people sat down to an orthodox christmas dinner the notion enchanted her she decided definitely that she and stephen should do their christmasing at the bear wherever the bear was and as she was fully aware of the power of her capricious charm over stephen she regarded the excursion as arranged before she had broached it to him stephen refused he remarked bitterly that the very thought of a mince tart made him ill and that he hated abroad vera took her defeat badly she pouted she sulked she announced that if she was not to be allowed to do her christmasing at the bear she would not do it anywhere she indicated that she meant to perish miserably of ennui in the besotted dullness of sneed and that no christmas party of any kind should occur in her house she ceased to show interest in stephen's health she would not speak in fact she went too far one day in reply to her rude silence stephen said very well child if that's your game i'll play it with you except when other people are present not a word do i speak to you until you have first spoken to me she knew he would abide by that he was a monster she hated him she loathed him so she said to herself that night in the agony of her distress she had dreamed a dream she dreamed that a stranger came to the house the details were vague but the stranger had travelled many miles over water she could not see him distinctly but she knew that he was quite bald in spite of his baldness he inspired her with sympathy he understood her praised her costumes and treated a woman as a woman ought to be treated then somehow or other he was making love to her the monster stephen being absent she was shocked by his making love to her and she moved a little farther off him on the sofa he had sat down by her on a vague sort of sofa in a vague sort of room but still she was thrilled and she could not feel as wicked as she felt she ought to feel then the dream became hazy it became hazy at the interesting point of her answer to the love-making a later stage was very clear something was afoot between the monster stephen and the stranger in the dining-room and she was locked out of the dining-room it was christmas night she knocked frantically at the door and at last forced it open and stephen was lying in the middle of the floor the table had been pushed into a corner i killed him quite by accident said the stranger affably and then he seized her by the hand and ruthlessly dragged her away 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 and they travelled in trains and ships and trains and they came to a very noisy clanging sort of city and vera woke up it had been a highly realistic dream and it made a deep impression on vera can one wonder that vera's heart being a superstitious little heart like all our hearts should leap when the very next day stephen turned up with a completely unexpected stranger from new york 
of course dreams are nonsense of course still she did not know whether to rejoice or mourn over the fact that mr bittinger was not bald he was decidedly unbald he had a glorious shock of chestnut hair that hair of his naturally destroyed any possible connection with the dream none the less the coincidence was bizarre two that evening before dinner vera busy in her chamber beautifying her charms for the ravishment of men from new york waited with secret anxiety for the arrival of stephen in his dressing-room and whereas she usually closed the door between the bedroom and the dressing-room on this occasion she carefully left it wide open stephen came at last and she waited listening to his movements in the dressing-room not a word she made brusque movements in the bedroom to attract his attention she even dropped a brush on the floor not a word after a few moments she actually ventured into the dressing-room stephen was wiping his face and he glanced at her momentarily over the towel which hid his nose and mouth not a word and how hard was the monster's glance she felt that stephen was one of your absurd literal persons he had said that he would not speak to her until she had first spoken to him that was to say in private public performances did not count and he would stick to his text no matter how deliciously she behaved she left the dressing-room in haste very well very well if stephen wished for war he should have it her grievance against him grew into something immense before it had been nothing but a kind of two-roomed cottage she now erected it into a town hall with imposing portals and many windows and rich statuary and suite after suite of enormous rooms and marble staircases and lifts that went up and down she wished she had never married him she wished that mr bittinger had been bald at dinner everything went with admirable smoothness mr bittinger sat betwixt them and utmost politeness reigned in their quality of well-bred hosts they both endeavoured to keep mr bittinger at his ease despite their desolating quarrel and they entirely succeeded as the champagne disappeared and it was not stephen that drank it mr bittinger became more than at his ease he was buyer for an important firm of earthenware dealers in new york vera had suspected as much these hospitalities to american buyers are an essential part of business in the five towns and he related very drolly the series of chances or mischances that had left him stranded in england at that season so unseasonable for buying vera reflected upon the series of chances or mischances and upon her dream of the man from over the long miles of water of course dreams are nonsense but still the conversation passed to the topic of stephen's health as conversations in stephen's house had a habit of doing mr bittinger listened with grave interest i know i know said mr bittinger i used to be exactly the same i guess i understand how you feel some don't i and you are cured stephen demanded eagerly as he nibbled a dry toast you bet i'm cured said mr bittinger you must tell me about that said stephen and added some time to-night he did not care to discuss the bewildering internal economy of the human frame 
at his dinner-table there were details and mr bittinger was in a mood that it was no exaggeration to describe as gay shortly afterwards there arose a discussion as to their respective ages they coquetted for a few moments as men invariably will each diffident about giving away the secret each asserting that the other was younger than himself well said mr bittinger to vera at length what age should you give me i i should give you five years less than stephen vera replied and may i ask how old you are mr bittinger put the question at close range to stephen and hit him full in the face with it i'm forty said stephen so am i said mr bittinger well you don't look it said stephen sure mr bittinger admitted pleased my husband's hair is turning gray said vera while yours turning gray exclaimed mr bittinger i wish mine was i give five thousand dollars to-day if mine was but why vera smiled look here my dear lady said mr bittinger in a peculiar voice putting down his glass and with a swift movement he lifted a wig of glorious chestnut hair from his head just lifted it for an instant and dropped it the man was utterly and completely bald three vera did nothing foolish she neither cried screamed turned deadly pale clenched her fragile hands bit her lips till the blood came smashed a wine-glass nor fell with a dull thud senseless to the floor nevertheless she was extremely perturbed by this astounding revelation of mr bittinger's of course dreams are nonsense but still the truth is one tries to believe that dreams are nonsense and up to a certain point one may succeed in believing but it seemed to vera that circumstances had passed that point she could not but admit also that if the dream went on being fulfilled within forty-eight hours mr bittinger would have made love to her and would have killed her husband she was so incensed against stephen that she really could not decide whether she wanted the dream to be fulfilled or not no one would have imagined that that soft breast could conceal a homicidal thought yet it was so that pretty and delightful woman wandering about in the edifice of her terrific grievance against stephen could not say positively to herself that she would not care to have stephen killed as a punishment for his sins after dinner she found an excuse for retiring she must think the puzzle out in solitude matters were really going too far she allowed it to be understood that she was indisposed mr bittinger was full of sorrow and sympathy but did stephen show the slightest concern stephen did not she went upstairs and she meditated stretched on the sofa at the foot of the bed a rug over her knees and the fire glinting on her face yes it was her duty as a christian if not as an outraged wife to warn stephen that the shadow of death was creeping up behind him he ought at least to be warned but how could she warn him clearly she could not warn him in the presence of mr bittinger the prospective murderer she would therefore have to warn him when they were alone and that meant that she would have to give way in the great conjugal sulking match no never it was impossible that she would give way there she frowned desperately at the leaping flames and did ultimately decide that stephen's death was preferable to her defeat in the contest 
of such is human nature after all dreams were nonsense surely stephen would come upstairs to inquire about her health her indisposition but no he came not and as he continued not to come she went downstairs again and proclaimed that she was better and then she learned that she had been worrying herself to no purpose whatever mr bittinger was leaving on the morrow the morrow being christmas eve stephen would drive him to bursley in the morning he would go to the five towns hotel to get his baggage and catch the liverpool express at noon he had booked a passage on the saxonia which sailed at three thirty o'clock thus he would spend his christmas at sea and spending his christmas at sea he could not possibly kill stephen in the village of sneed on christmas night relief and yet a certain vague regret in the superstitious little heart the little heart went to bed again and stephen and the stranger stayed up talking very late doubtless about the famous cure the leave-taking the next morning increased the vague regret mr bittinger was the possessor of an attractive individuality and vero pondered upon its attractiveness far into the afternoon how nicely mr bittinger had thanked her for her gracious hospitality with what meaning he had charged the expression of his deep regret at leaving her after all dreams were nonsense she was sitting in the bow-window of the drawing-room precisely as she had been sitting twenty-four hours previously when whom should she see striding masculinely along the drive towards the house but mr bittinger this time she was much more perturbed even than she had been by the revelation of mr bittinger's baldness after all she uprose the blood having rushed to her head and retreated she knew not whither blindly without a purpose and found herself in a little morning-room which was scarcely ever used at the end of the hall she had not shut the door and mr bittinger having been admitted by a servant caught sight of her and breezily entered her retreat clad in his magnificent furs and as he doffed the furs he gaily told her what had happened owing to difficulties with the cheswardine mare on the frosty undulating road between sneed and bursley and owing to delays with his luggage at the five towns hotel he had just missed the liverpool express and therefore the steamer also he had returned to stephen's manufactory stephen had insisted that he should spend his christmas with them and in brief there he was he had walked from bursley stephen kept by business was coming later and so was some of the baggage mr bittinger's face radiated joy the loss of his twenty-guinea passage on the saxonia did not appear to cause him the least regret and he sat down by the side of vera and vera suddenly noticed that they were on a sofa the sofa of her dreams and she fancied she recognized the room you know my dear lady said mr bittinger looking her straight in the eyes i'm just glad i missed my steamer it gives me a chance to spend a christmas in england and in your delightful society your delightful society he gazed at her without adding to the sentence if this was not love-making on a sofa what could it be mr bittinger had certainly missed the liverpool express on purpose of that vera was convinced or if he had not missed it on purpose he had missed it under the dictates of the mysterious power of the dream 
those people who chose to believe that dreams are nonsense were at liberty to do so four so that in spite of vera's definite proclamation that there should be no christmasing in her house that year christmasing there emphatically was impossible to deny anything to mr bittinger mr bittinger wanted holly the gardener supplied it mr bittinger wanted mistletoe a bunch of it was brought home by stephen in the dog-cart mr bittinger could not conceive an english christmas without turkey mince pies plum pudding and all the usual indigestiveness vera speaking in a voice which seemed somehow not to be hers stated that these necessaries of christmas life would be produced and stephen did not say that the very thought of a mince tart made him ill even the english weather which it is notorious has of late shown a sad disposition to imitate and even to surpass in mildness the weather of the riviera at christmas decided to oblige mr bittinger at nightfall on christmas eve it began to snow gently but steadily fine frozen snow and the waits consisting of boys and girls from the countess of chelles celebrated institute close by came and sang in the garden in the falling snow by the light of a lantern and mr bittinger's heart was as full as it could hold of english christmas as for vera's heart it was full of she knew not what mr bittinger's attitude towards her grew more and more chivalrous he contrived to indicate that he regarded all the years he had spent before making the acquaintance of vera as so many years absolutely wasted and stephen did not seem to care they retired to rest that evening up a staircase whose banisters the industrious hands of mr bittinger had entwined with holly and paper festoons and bade each other a merry christmas with immense fervour but in the conjugal chamber stephen maintained his policy of implacable silence and naturally vera maintained hers could it be expected of her that she should yield the fault was all stephen's he ought to have taken her to the bear switzerland then there would have been no dream no mr bittinger and no danger but as things were within twenty-four hours he would be a dead man and throughout christmas day vera beneath the gaiety with which she met the vivacious sallies of mr bittinger waited in horrible suspense for the dream to fulfil itself stephen alone observed her agitated condition stephen said to himself the quarrel is getting on her nerves she'll yield before she's a day older it will do her good then i'll make it up to her handsomely but she must yield first he little knew he was standing on the edge of the precipice of death the christmas dinner succeeded admirably and stephen in whom courage was seldom lacking ate half a mince pie the day was almost over no premature decease had so far occurred and when both the men said that if vera permitted they would come with her at once to the drawing-room and smoke there vera decided that after all dreams were nonsense she entered the drawing-room first and mr bittinger followed her with stephen behind but just as stephen was crossing the mat the gardener holding a parcel in his hands and looking rather strange there in the hall spoke to him and stephen stopped and called to mr bittinger and the drawing-room door was closed upon vera 
she waited solitary for an incredible space of time and then having heard unaccustomed and violent sounds in the distance she could contain herself no longer and she rang the bell louisa she demanded of the parlour-maid where is your master oh ma'am replied louisa giggling a little license was surely permissible to the girl on christmas night oh man there's such a to-do tinsley has just brought some boxing gloves and master and mr bittinger having got their coats off in the dining-room and they've had the table pushed up by the door and you never saw such a set out at all your life ma'am vera dismissed louisa there it was the dream they were going to box mr bittinger was doubtless an expert and she knew that stephen was not a chance blow by mr bittinger in some vital part and stephen would be lying stretched in eternal stillness in the middle of the dining-room floor where the table ought to be the life of the monster was a stake the life of the brute was in her hands the dream was fulfilling itself to the point of tragedy she jumped up and rushed to the dining-room door it would not open again the dream you can't come in cried stephen laughing oh, wait a bit she pushed against the door working the handle she was about to insist upon the door being opened when the idea of the danger of such a proceeding occurred to her in the dream when she got the door opened her husband's death had already happened frantically she ran to the kitchen louisa she ordered go into the garden and tap at the dining-room window and tell your master that i must speak to him at once in the drawing-room and in a pitiable state of excitation she returned to the drawing-room after another interminable period of suspense her ear caught the sound of the opening of doors and then stephen came into the drawing-room a singular apparition he was coatless as louisa had said and the extremities of his long arms were bulged out with cream-coloured boxing-gloves she sprang at him and kissed him steve she said are we friends i should think we were he replied returning her kiss heartily he had won what are you doing she asked him bittinger and i are just going to have a real round with the gloves it's part of his cure for my indigestion you know he says there's nothing like it i've only just been able to get gloves tinsley brought them up just now and so we sort of thought we'd like to have a go at once why wouldn't you let me into the dining-room my child the table was up against the door and i fancied perhaps she wouldn't be exactly charmed so i stephen she said in her most persuasive voice will you do something to please me what is it will you a pause yes uh, certainly don't box to-night oh well what will bittinger think another pause never mind you don't want me to box really i don't want you to box not to-night agreed my chuck and he kissed her again he could well afford to be magnanimous mr bittinger ploughed the seas alone to new york but supposing that vera had not interfered what would have happened that is the unanswerable query which torments the superstitious little brain of vera end of story seven